Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solutions in leadership, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. Uh, Today, we have uh, Dr. Rafael Pelayo uh, with us, who is the president of the California Sleep Society and chair of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine's Political Action Committee serves on a lot of boards, and uh, we're just delighted. Also, one called school, Start School Later, um, and so delighted to have him. Welcome, Raphael. Thanks for having me, Brian. Well, glad to have you, and to our faithful listeners, welcome back, mm-hmm. and thank you for being part of our family of over uh, thousands of uh, listeners every month, and to our new listeners, we're glad that you've joined us. Um, I'm, I'm particularly excited today to hear uh, from you, uh, Raphael, because um, some years ago, now I was just looking at my archives, about four years ago, um, we had someone on talking about um, the the fact that there's a group of people who want schools to start later. And and so that show kind of really covered, um, you know, what, what was behind uh, the move to have schools start later, and so that one's on. Um, but today we're going to talk about the impact of sleep and how important sleep is uh, for people who are in leadership roles. As I told you um, before we got started, a, a lot of the listeners are people who serve in executive leadership roles and school building leaders and what have you. And and so uh, this is a, a topic I'm sure that will uh, really resonate with them. And I know you have uh, a, a few different roles at Stanford University out in California. So why don't we start there? Tell us a little bit about um, your sleep center, the foundation. And actually, I saw where there's a conference uh, going on. One of the organizations that you belong to is doing a conference, I think, in October. But tell us a little bit about uh, the, the field itself and some of the work that you're doing. Sure. Yeah, thank you for this opportunity. So my main job, my main responsibility, I'm a professor at Stanford University, um, and I'm in the Division of Sleep Medicine, which is housed in the Department of Psychiatry. My background is not in psychiatry necessarily. I trained as a child neurologist, specifically, though, looking into a career in sleep. And my initial exposure to sleep was in New York City, in Montefiore Hospital. But I've been at Stanford since 1993. Um, Stanford Sleep Disorders Clinic first opened in 1970 and was the first place in the country ever devoted full-time to the practice of sleep medicine. And the idea was to treat sleep like you would any other internal medicine uh, problem. And before then, that wasn't being done. So if somebody complains about not sleeping well, they would get a physical exam, a history, and we would measure their sleep. And we would do something called a polysomnogram, which is a sleep test. And again, that was initially coined as a phrase at Stanford. But from there, it spread to the entire planet. So everywhere you go in the world, there are people working in sleep medicine. There's a World Sleep uh, uh, Society. 
There's in the United States, the main organization is the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. There's also the National Sleep Foundation, which um, increases awareness of sleep health. And in the past, we always talked about sleep disorders, but now we're thinking more about sleep health, which mm-hmm. I think it ties in also to, to leaders. Mm-hmm. My job, Stanford University is in Silicon Valley, so I'm routinely seeing CEOs, um, entrepreneurs, people who are running their own businesses who come to me to discuss how they're sleeping and how it impacts their lives. So, so this mm-hmm. is a, a very good topic to, yeah. to go over. Sure, sure. And so we, we, you know, from as long as I can remember, um, especially as a, a young boy growing up, um, parents, whether they knew exactly the, the medical reasons behind it or not, not clear about that, but they knew that there was a, there was a, it was how important it was for you to get enough sleep. And so some of it had to do with uh, how you interacted with others and, um, and how you performed um, cognitively. So um, wh- what is it that, I guess, you know, some of the big um, takeaways from the work that you've been doing all these years about um, how sleep impacts, uh, let's start first with your interaction with others. Sure. You know, at the beginning of the show, you mentioned that there were a, a group of people that wanted schools to start later. And that group of people is called teenagers and their parents. California became the first state in the nation to pass a law specifically protecting the uh, sleep health of teenagers. And it's, a nas- it's an international movement, but it, it mm-hmm. uh, began actually in Minnesota and actually worked in, in uh, Brown University. Uh, but California was the first state to actually have a law uh, supporting that. And the reason that we did that is because we know that sleep impacts health, and any parent can tell you this. And this translates directly to the boardroom in any kind of advisory role that you have. When somebody does not get enough sleep, the first thing that happens is you tend to be inattentive and irritable. You tend to be grumpy mm-hmm. when you wake up. Mm-hmm. Next thing that's affected is your judgment because the prefrontal cortex really wants that sleep. There was a study done on, on teenagers, but actually I think has big ramifications to our adults also where what happened is they did uh, fMRI, functional uh, magnetic uh, resonance imaging, fMRI looking at what happens when you sleep deprive somebody and how mm-hmm. they handle risks. And mm. it turns out that all of us are descendants of risk takers, right? How did, how did our DNA survive over time? Because we took risks. So we're the only animal that voluntarily sleep deprives itself. When you go to the zoo, the animals are sleeping. They have nothing to do. But in the wild, animals just don't stay awake for that for the hell of it. They, 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 they sleep on certain schedules, and sleeping is inherently mm-hmm. the most dangerous thing we do as animals. There's nothing mm-hmm. more dangerous that an animal can do than sleep. So when we're sleep-deprived, the brain goes into another, a mode. There's an actual mode that's been measured on the fMRI data where the brain says, well, if I'm not sleeping, there must be something wrong. Mm-hmm. If something is wrong, I must take a chance. And one of the things that happens when people are sleep-deprived, they become more impulsive. And specifically, what's been found is that people who are sleep-deprived overvalue the rewards and minimize the risks when they make a decision. Uh, mm-hmm. And, that's, and if, if you make the right decision, you get lucky and you do well. But, but, you, but know that you are being more impulsive in your decision-making and you're misjudging the, the pros and cons because you're sleep-deprived when you're doing this. Anybody who's mm-hmm. ever been stuck in a casino can see this, how people over time keep making bigger and bigger risks and bigger and bigger gambles. That's where the house will always win because time is on their side if right. somebody sleep deprived. So mm-hmm. keep this in mind. Anybody who has to make decisions, the idea is to, hey, 
you know, once you sleep on it. How many times have you heard somebody say this to you? It's a common term. It seems mm-hmm. self-evident that you should not maybe hit that last email, send all, just before you fall asleep because right, you might make right. a mistake. Sure. Taking a sure. time to do it in the morning, your brain is fresh, your mind works better. It's amazing the difference that sleep can do for a person's ability to, to make decisions. Our judgment is clearly impaired when you're sleep deprived and you're taking mm-hmm. risks. This mm-hmm. translates not only to the boardroom, but also car accidents. One of the big reasons that we, we value the importance of sleep and public safety is because of car accidents. The big push towards automated cars has been because of the safety feature supposedly involved in this because people make mistakes because sleep deprived. So this translates in a lot of forms. And in business meetings, a lot of my patients are business leaders who have business interest in Asia and in Europe. And when they go travel, they tend to be sleep deprived because they're jet lag. And then they have business entertainment that they add alcohol on top of it. <laughs> and it can be disastrous consequences for people. Mm-hmm. I remember mm-hmm. um, I had a CEO I met who told me, I'll never forget a CEO, uh, one, of the, one of the big companies around here. And he said to me, I think I'm losing my edge. Mm. An interesting thing was when you looked at his data from his sleep study, we had a, did a sleep test. He had very, very mild, objectively very mild amount of sleep apnea in this, in this particular case, which is a sleep apnea condition where people are trouble breathing in their sleep. But even though by the numbers it was mild, somebody who's very sensitive to their sleep, somebody who does a lot of intellectual work, who already is, has a career path where they sleep restricting themselves because of their work, you have on top of that something that's relatively mild and it's a double whammy and it's disastrous. Mm-hmm. And the cool mm-hmm. thing is that when you treat them, then they feel better and they feel their edge. I've met several business people who tell me that that's their, that that's, they notice a difference when they get better sleep and they make better decisions. Mm-hmm. And I've had mm-hmm. the opposite too. I've also had p- people in the business world, the most embarrassing thing that like CEOs ever described to me personally upon their work is that they have fallen asleep at pitch meetings. So one of their employees, one of their guys is tra- trying to raise money um, and, and is pitching their product. And if the CEO falls asleep during the meeting, it's horrible for them. It's, 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 Anyway, that kind of stuff happens, and it doesn't have to sure. be that way. Sure. The good news is almost everybody can sleep better. Well, once, once, we, once we identify what the issues are, we can improve most people's sleep. Sure. Well, let, let me ask you this. So um, you, you mentioned that, you know, that some of these CEOs um, would get varying levels of sleep. Um, so is there a magic number? Does that matter? Uh, I, I mean, I've heard – where some people brag, and I've been in places where you say, I don't, I don't need more than five hours of sleep, or I don't need more than four hours of sleep. And things that I've read um, seem to be, you know, about these, these rhythms um, that happen uh, that's a part of your sleep. Um, is there a magic number in terms of the number of hours that we should sleep? Sometimes I've even read and, and seen a couple articles where, uh, they say there's a such thing as too much sleep. Like you, it started has diminishing returns after a while. Um, what's 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 most accurate uh, there? So when I think about a person's sleep, people typically want to talk about the hours of sleep, just like you did, and that makes a lot of sense. The hours of sleep, and people may view sleep as a great inconvenience. And in fact, one of the earliest sleep scientists said, "If sleep has no function, it's the biggest mistake evolution ever made." <laughs> but when I talk to a patient for the first time, think about it, right? Why would we do this? Why would you put your risk? Mm-hmm. Why would you uh, risk yourself being attacked? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the fact that so that every animal that's been studied so far sleeps, even worms have been found to sleep. Jellyfish have been found to sleep. The fact that it's so ubiquitous across the animal kingdom 
means it cannot be just some mistake evolution made. It has to have some mm. functions to it. And and the role of sleep uh, in, a, in a squirrel may be different than the role of sleep in a human. Mm. And there may be multiple functions with an S for it. But when I think of sleep, I think of sleep not just about the hours of sleep. And I want and I get to your answer in a moment about the numbers. Yeah, sure. But I want to put it in perspective. When I think about sleep, I think of sleep in four dimensions. And anybody I talk to about their sleep, I, I don't want to stop at the hours of sleep. The amount of sleep is important. But even more important, or just as important, is the quality of their sleep. Just like you can be overweight and malnourished, people with sleep disorders, who have physical sleep disorders, may spend lots of hours in bed, but mm. still wake up unrefreshed. Mm-hmm. And I always compare mm-hmm. that to, you know, you don't leave restaurants feeling hungry. Why should you wake up feeling tired? So to anybody who's listening to this, if you wake up feeling tired, no matter how many hours of sleep you have, clearly it's not the amount of sleep, but the quality of the sleep that has to be looked at. Sure. So there's the hours, there's the quality, but then there's the third part is the timing of sleep. I want to know from my patients, are the weekends different than the weekdays on their sleep schedules? Uh, do they have business interests in Europe that they're staying awake for or in Asia? Do they sleep in spurts? Do they take naps? So the timing of sleep. We also get a lot of uh, business people who, when they're uh, kind of ramping up, they, they become what's called almost free running, where they can eat whenever they want, sleep whenever they want, and they whip mm-hmm. themselves up. We see this with the graduate students too. They, they end up isolating themselves. So the amount of sleep, quality sleep, timing of their sleep, and finally what's overlooked and probably is the key of all is your state of mind. Are you looking forward to sleeping or sleeping a hassle for you? Is it a drag? People with insomnia typically dread the thought of sleeping because it, it, sleeping becomes a chore. For them, are you looking forward to tomorrow? Or are you looking? Are you dreading tomorrow? So your state of mind will influence a lot how we sleep. So as far as the hours of sleep, if I ask anybody about the hours of sleep, I could ask you, Brian. I've never, never had this conversation before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ask you how, about, how much sleep you want to get. You people typically give you two numbers. They say things like, "I like to get seven, but I can get uh, get by with six. I like to get nine, but I can get by with five. Do you have two numbers mm-hmm. in your head about how you feel about your sleep? Yes, probably. I would say um, I'd like to get eight, but I'd get by with seven. So think about this, right? Anything that's so crucial to our survival, because there's no denying that sleep is an essential biological need. So it it behaves like other things that that are appetites. The more sleep you have, the less sleep you need at the time. The less sleep you get, the more sleep you need. That's an obvious thing. Mm -hmm. It's it's like food. But again, it's not that simple. how can we really be eight-hour sleeping mammals if you have to feed our babies every two to four hours Right. Right. when you have a newborn unless biologically there's a system inside our heads to push away sleep at certain times? Mm-hmm. We're not fragile creatures. Just like you can hold your breath on the water, you can skip a meal without going to hypoglycemic shock, you can mm-hmm. also do without sleep up to a point. So if mm-hmm. you're a good sleeper and a sleep satiated, Always getting the full amount of sleep. There's these experiments called sleep extension experiments. They do with athletes sometimes, where you 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 give somebody they, they can't sleep anymore. You just give them as much sleep as possible, and you take that same person and you keep them up all night for whatever reason. There's not much of a drop off in their performance. Mm-hmm. So if you are getting a good amount of sleep and you get zero sleep one night, you can more or less function just fine the next day. Mm-hmm. However. One of the things that happens, especially with teenagers and then young adults, and they learn about it in college, and then they, they carry over these practices into their adult lives, they realize they can get by with less sleep. Like you said, you like to get eight and get by with seven. And what people tend to do is get by with as little sleep as possible. 
my number, by the way, is six. I try not to never go show up for work unless I have had six hours of sleep. But mm-hmm. my sweet spot is around seven and a half hours for me. I, I feel mm-hmm. good. And sometimes I get eight and I feel really good. But mm-hmm. seven and a half is what I try to get. But I make a professional habit of not to show up for work unless I get six hours. Because patients ask mm-hmm. me at the time, Doc, how many hours did you sleep? I get that all. Oh, they ask me that every day. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, yeah. Right? Because they're curious. So what I see if, I, if I'm really um, um, li- li- living up to what I'm trying to tell them. Sure. But in any sure. case, what happens is if you take anybody and let them get by with as little sleep as possible, but they can get by, that's all they're doing. They're getting by. They're not at their sharpest. Mm-hmm. They're not at their best. Mm-hmm. You take that same person and you sleep and you keep them up all night who's only been getting a little bit of sleep. The next day, they're horrible. They crash. And mm-hmm. that's the thing that happens when you deal with people who suffer from insomnia. They're getting by with as little sleep as possible. Oftentimes, people with insomnia uh, rattle off the number five. Uh, they get about five hours of sleep. They may spend nine hours in bed to get five hours of sleep. And they're craving maybe getting six or seven, maybe even eight. Mm-hmm. But they tend to only get five. Mm-hmm. And what happens is early on in, in high school and in, in college, you learn that you can get by with less sleep. But that doesn't mean you're doing you're not at your best. And people who have insomnia know this. I've met successful people, people with, with, who are billionaires. Um, and they'll tell you that no matter what's happening, they still, in the back of their mind, they're thinking, if I only got better sleep, I could do better yet. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's the trap they fall into because then they put pressure on themselves to sleep. You really don't want to do that. I've learned to compare this a little bit to, uh, to um, smartphones. When I want to talk to young audiences, I always say, you know, we, we can relate to the smartphone. Most of, most of that, uh, everybody listening to this, to this uh, podcast has a smartphone. And what happens if you leave the house one day with your phone in your pocket and you realize you didn't, didn't charge it? It's only half charged. The rest of the day, you're going to be asking your friends, anybody at work, does anybody have a charger? You're going to be looking for right. a charger. And right. until you get the charger, you're going to be anxious. The phone is at half charge. If somebody dares to call you instead of text you, you wonder, should I pick up this call and drain my battery further? What should I do? And when you finally find that charger, if you, in that situation, when somebody plugs in their phone, they let out a sigh of relief. Ah, finally got my phone charging. <laughs> now, the thing is, that phone was working just fine at half charge, but you know it's not at its full potential. I play a little mind game with myself about this uh, because um, I always – because I'm in Northern California. We could have earthquakes here, and I think I want my phone to be charged at all times, fully charged as much as possible because if something happens, I don't know when I'm going to get to a charger. But the same idea with your sleep, that, yes, you can get by with less sleep, and that's the problem parents will have sometimes talking to their teenagers because parents are saying, I want you to spend eight, nine hours in bed, and the teenagers learn they can get by with less sleep. Mm-hmm. And like, no, I don't need that much. Mm-hmm. But, but your parents can tell because the kid wakes up getting grumpy, hard to wake up in the morning. Parents can notice it, but you may, self may not perceive it as the problem. People around you will, will do this. So if anybody in your circle tells you that you're grumpy in the morning, you seem tired, or if anybody ever tells you you snore, thank that person because they may have saved your life. This is important mm-hmm. stuff. Sure, sure. Um, you know, I want to go back for a moment. You, you mentioned something very important around decision-making and risk-taking, and I think that's also important for a lot of people that are probably, you know, kind of listening in to this, um, that when, when you are sleep deprived, you, you mentioned that the research um, demonstrates that you're most likely to take risks or additional risks. Um, so what, what exactly are we talking about here? Are we talking about that they, they've been demonstrated to to want to spend more money or, you know, or take, take risks? Where, what, what do we mean when the research tells us that they want to take risks? How big are these actual risks? 
The study that I'm thinking about, the fMRI study with teenagers, and I'm sure it translates to adults too. I'm sure there's some work that's been done. But with teenagers, they use driver simulators. They put them in mm-hmm. front of a simulator, and they misjudged how well they were doing. Uh, they, they, they tend to overvalue what the, uh, the, the, the rewards that they're going to get. But that's mm-hmm. just in general. They're, they're the standard gamble questions that they'll do in mm-hmm. psychology where they, they measure your ability to, you know, your risk tolerance. And people gotcha. are people deprived definitely will take chances. I'm sure um, you'll see this also. Um, some, of, some of your listeners, I'm sure, play video games. And the video game industry is, is very much a sleep deprived because they're playing long hours into the night. And they, I'm sure they make mistakes from lack of sleep. And also, mm-hmm. uh, lack of sleep lowers your reaction time. It's mm-hmm. also been tested. So it's sure. very important for people. So if you're in any kind of work situation where your judgment is important, if you're getting paid for your judgment, being sleep deprived, you're, you're, you're really doing a disservice to the people who trust you because mm-hmm. you're not at your best. Sure, sure. Um, and, and clearly that impacts uh, leadership ability and uh, both real and perceived because if, if you're making poor decisions um, and you're irritable, uh, your people are not going to be as willing to follow you or, or be as productive for you. Um, uh, so, um, so those of you who may have just joined us, I have Dr. Rafael Pelayo, um, who is a professor at Stanford University, and we're talking about the impact of sleep on decision making and leadership. Um, uh, let me tell you, Rafael, I, and this, I don't get any uh, uh, money for this particular piece, but I, I want to share both with you and the audience um, that I recently discovered, I guess I say recently in the last year, I discovered the Calm app. And and so I have been amazed that uh, the Calm app has worked with me. And so there are a couple of things that have worked. One is that I noticed, so they have, you know, nighttime stories that you can listen to, but but just having someone help in in terms of uh, their voice saying, uh, take a deep breath. Often, that's all it takes <laughs> to help me get uh, probably less than two minutes into um, this this routine, and I'm, I'm out. Um, but one thing that really surprised me was there was one day, and I guess I didn't really get a good night's sleep. Um, I had seen on the app there was this place where um, they had these naps. So it's, you can go on and, and you, you can sit in your chair or if you have a place. And so I just laid down on the floor and, um, and turned it on and listened to um, a guided nap experience. And the nap experience itself was only 26 minutes. And um, and you wake up to these birds, and I just thought it would be a good time to just relax. And I, I there's no way I'm going to fall asleep in that amount of time and feel relaxed or refreshed. Lo and behold, I was again two or three minutes in, fell asleep, and actually startled me because I didn't know just how tired I was. And so it's kind of a long-winded way of, you know, sharing with you about what happened to me with the nap, but what's your position on um, middle-of-the-day naps? Are they only good because 
you're you're tired or feeling tired, or should we all? You know, I've seen both sides of this too. Uh, I've read an article in Forbes about the value of a nap. Um, what, what's your position on napping during the day? What I've written is that uh, napping is like snacking. And so sometimes snacking is good and sometimes snacking is bad. It depends on the circumstances. Mm-hmm. I like to make a distinction between being tired and being sleepy. And, and, and I know it's semantics, but there is, a, I think, an important distinction to make because sleepiness and tiredness may converge or they may diverge. Mm-hmm. So if you and I, for example, got up and did 100 jumping jacks, maybe I'm assuming that we could do 100 jumping jacks, you might feel tired, but you're not going to feel sleepy. Mm-hmm. And if any of you have jet lag, you know the difference between being tired and being sleepy. So I like to ask my patients, are you tired or are you sleepy? If you're tired, you want to rest. If you're sleepy, you want to sleep. And things like thyroid disease or depression, they may feel very tired and very run down, but they're not sleeping well at all and they can't sleep. So there's a mm-hmm. difference between that. As far as napping, um, I said earlier that the simple example that, you know, the more you eat, the, the less you have to eat, you know, uh, mm-hmm. the sleep has this homeostatic property to it. But sleep is not really that simple because what happens to all of us is when, when we first wake up, we should be alert. You should not, we should be tired, but you actually have a little bit more alertness mid-morning. So you should need a cup of coffee first thing in the morning, maybe a little bit later in the morning. But you have some alertness in mid-morning. Then after lunch, you get a drop in alertness, all of us. And then in the evening, without having caught any sleep at all, this, that sleepiness goes away and we feel mm-hmm. more awake. The circadian modulation, by the way, this got the 2017 uh, Nobel Prize, the research on circadian clock genes. People say, well, lunch made me sleepy. Well, that's not really true because breakfast doesn't make you sleepy and dinner doesn't Mm -hmm. make you sleepy. Mm -hmm. You actually get more awake later. So how do you explain somebody feeling more alert at night than in the afternoon? It correlates with the core body temperature, and I think it actually also correlates with with our predators. If you think back to our prehistoric times, if if, – you think about what would hunt humans and we live in caves we're, you know we're, we're, we're more primitive organisms lions and tigers those, those animals hunt at dawn, at dawn at dusk and at night so you think you should be most alert at night but you can be attacked so humans get a second wind in the evening it's called clock dependent alerting and you we're usually most alert about two hours before you fall asleep if you're a normal healthy sleeper your surge of alertness is about two hours before you fall asleep so if you normally go to sleep let's say around number midnight you'll find it so very hard for you to go to bed at 10 p.m. And because we have the second wind in the evening that's, that's genetic, it's, it's built into our brains, it's why it's so hard to go to bed early. It's really hard to go to bed early. Mm-hmm. Um, it's much easier to push away sleep than to advance sleep. So getting back to napping, if you're only getting five or six hours at night, then catching a nap in the afternoon makes sense. And the days that it's hottest, our predators, lions and tigers are less likely to attack us, it makes sense. This also correlates with our core body temperature. When our core body temperature is dropping, we get sleepy. People remember this by remembering that you fall asleep before you freeze to death. So our internal core temperature drops a little bit. You get sleepier. The temperature picks up. You feel more awake. And in the afternoons, we're a little drop on our temperature so that we can catch a nap if we want to. We have this thing, mm-hmm. again, built into us. allows us to take a nap if we need it. So we have this flexibility in order to catch a nap. So mm-hmm. I think of it, that's, that's exactly what I think of it. If you are been traveling, you're sleep deprived, and that makes sense. Or you can make it part of your lifestyle. I know that I'm a shift worker. Um, I have, have business interests in Asia and in, in Europe, and I, I can only sleep in certain bursts. And so I'll sleep maybe six and a half hours at night and take a 45-minute nap in the afternoon, and then mm-hmm. that's good. Too long a nap, though, nap more than an hour and a half, for, for example, typically. There's a phenomenon called sleep inertia 
where um, also called sleep drunkenness, where we, that's what the oversleeping is about. You feel fuzzy. And the actual, this is a real thing. So the, the uh, FAA for the pilots has rules about napping schedules, how long a nap is out to be, because if a nap is too long, you may wake up disoriented. You want a mm. short nap, under an hour, 40 minutes. 20, 20 minutes is a perfect nap. Like 25 minutes, you can get a nap that way. That's a real sweet thing to do. Ah. Well, now that makes sense because it, th- that's exactly what it, it does. It's uh, 26 minutes that they say is the, the nap time. So I know there's been quite a bit of research that has gone into this. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, sure. before, before we run out of time, I, I, I do want to ask you about, I noticed that um, you teach an undergraduate course. Um, called Sleep and Dreams at Stanford. Tell me about that. I, that just is fascinating me. I think a lot of people are interested about, you know, in dreams and what they mean. But what? tell me a little bit about this course you teach. Sure. Sure. Well, that's probably my greatest professional privilege. Um, Dr. William C. Dement, Dr. Dement, who founded the Stanford Sleep Program. You've mm-hmm. heard of REM sleep, REM sleep. He coined yes, the phrase yes. REM sleep. He developed the sleep course in 1972. And about six or seven years ago, as he was getting older, and he was in his 80s, he asked me to help out with the course. And I gradually took it over from him. He passed away, sadly, just about a year ago. Yes, I And I renamed that. the course. The, the course has now been renamed Dement's Sleep and Dreams. So in perpetuity, we'll always have his name attached to it. It's one of the most popular courses on campus. A lot of Stanford students are aware of it. If any, if you, any students who have been to Stanford have heard about the course. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also now other universities are teaching it. But the key thing that we're teaching in this course we think is that we're trying to save lives. The most common cause of death among, among young adults is car accidents, and we're teaching students to recognize the signs of sleepiness in their own lives. We have a mm. class slogan, drowsiness is red alert. We're helping people recognize sleep disorders among themselves and the family members. I routinely, routinely see my students showing up uh, or referring their parents to me or their, or their roommates because they recognize sleep problems among them. So mm-hmm. it's a great multiplier to have the Stanford students working um, with us to get the message out on the points of sleep health. It's an honor mm-hmm. to be with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds very interesting, very interesting uh, course. And then I know you have a book uh, that came out last year um, on how to sleep. Um, anything you want to share about it? Sure. Well, it, the, um, the publisher wanted a, a, a simple-to-read book. On sleeping, I actually wrote a textbook for the Sleeping Dreams course. So this time around, I just wrote a short book uh, that would just synthesize the information on how to get better sleep and teach people um, how to recognize sleep disorders among themselves. A lot of people mm-hmm. will do fine with, with some simple uh, things, but but the reality is that the vast majority of people who have hardcore sleep issues will improve when they address it correctly. So mm-hmm. the book has, I think, a lot of good news for anybody who has trouble sleeping. So so thanks for mentioning it. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Sure. There'll be some people that can benefit from that. Um, uh, Well, thank you so much. And as I told you, I really appreciate you uh, taking time out of your busy schedule. Uh, For those of you who uh, may have joined late, listen back in to the full broadcast. Um, This is Dr. Rafael Pelayo, who is um, a professor at Stanford University. We've been talking about um, the impact of sleep on decision making and leadership and and just in general um, our overall uh, health um, and so next week a week from today same time 6 p.m. we have a psychologist from uh, the psych department at the University of Michigan uh, Dr. Ethan Cross is going to talk about um, consciousness and 
um, us listening um, to the voices in our heads. Um, so he'll be with us next week um, on the 11th at 6 p.m. So again, thank you so much, Raphael. Uh, we've really enjoyed you. Um, wishing you the best. And so until next time, go well, stay well. Thank you so much, Brian. I appreciate it. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Bye-bye. Yep. Take care. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.